Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. This leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Jane Reagan. Jane Reagan is a, is a Boulder County-based regional dietitian nutritionist who believes that food has the power to heal and that understanding food choices, food quality, and one's relationship with food can lead to greater awareness, improved health, and more abundant life. She regularly helps individuals understand how food impacts them physically, mentally, and emotionally with a food-first philosophy. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have a conversation about food because it's, you know, it's something we, we do all day, every day, or at least a few times a day, and it has huge impacts on us that we may or may not understand. I'd like to just start by you telling us a little bit of how you got interested in nutrition and if there was a specific event that had you say, oh my gosh, this is something I really want to do. Yeah, I think just growing up in the mountains of Colorado and being exposed to a healthy lifestyle and the outdoors, I was always really interested in health. And so I was a health science major, and I, I really noticed with nutrition, particularly, that um, foods I would eat would make me feel a certain way, or if I went too long without eating, I wouldn't feel good. And and I didn't realize at a younger age that I had some issues with low blood sugar, and and so I for a while just couldn't figure it out. I think I was so interested in it, and then noticed like, oh wow, when I eat differently, like my energy steady, my mood is better, everything works better. And it just made me really interested in nutrition. When I was younger, had some uh, small health challenges and, and through my nutrition, I was able to figure it out. And so it just always um, really drew me in and not only just nutrition, but I would also say psychology, it was kind of even. And so I went and got my master's in counseling, but actually worked in eating disorders during my year in, in my graduate program. And then later went on to get my credentials as a registered dietitian. But um, that intersection between mental health and nutrition has always really fascinated me. And I see such a difference that especially kids, you know, I work with a lot of um, high school and college kids, adults too, but how their mood can really change um, what looks like ADHD or depression or anxiety. It, it might well be, but it also might be a really poor intake, poor um, protein intake, really terrible meal timing, way too much caffeine. Um, so it's so important to look at what we put in our mouth every day as, as nutrition is a cornerstone of health and of wellness. Yeah, huge. It's interesting you said that about how you can change things with nutrition. My son was actually diagnosed with a lymphoma when he was seven. And um, we were asked to do radiation right away. And we decided instead to look at his life. We looked at his the, lab, the amount of stress he had. We looked at what he was eating every day and how we were living. And we changed things there first, you know, took out all all processed foods, went to certain supplements, but really looked at like how he was um, living his day to day life. And it made a huge difference. We never ended up having to do any radiation at all. Yep. It's really important to look at that holistic perspective, kind of like that body centered, mindful approach, because yeah. it takes the individual into account, right? Like anytime I would say this to listeners, you hear nutrition information, and they said this is and it says this is how everyone should eat, like to just be wary of that, because 
we're too different, right? And, and certain ways of eating impact one person one way versus another, certain supplements impact one person versus another. So it's so important to get individualized care and, and to get that holistic approach of really like honing in on, on how your body feels, how your mind feels, right? And combining that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that we were talking a little bit before we got started about how you worked at the CU Health Center. Um, and I'm sure you saw so many examples of kids coming in under stress or, you know, on their own for the first time, eating differently than they did in home. You know, what kind of things do you think really stood out for you in your experience there? Oh, my gosh. Well, I was there for 10 years and saw all sorts of things. Like I'd see kids, freshmen coming in who really knew how to eat were really great, had a lot of skills around that. And other kids that just had none, right? It was all over the spectrum. And some, many that were away from home for the first time, out of state, right? Homesick, sad, trying to like manage their life. And then some who are really experiencing some health concerns, right? Like certain gut issues or migraines or stress, fatigue, right? Or even more serious health concerns. And so I think they felt like with nutrition, they had something where they could make changes and see something different in their life because of the, the changes that they were making in their nutrition. Mm. And so the kids I found were very interested in, and actually I found that this generation was really interested in how to do it holistically, like not automatically going to a medication, not that they were against it, but they were much more interested in like how to change their life. And so it was yeah. really fun working with that population. I love working with, with college students and high school yeah, students. Absolutely. They have a certain amount of energy that's kind of contagious, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. And they're yeah. curious, and, right? Especially, yeah. Really yeah. curious. It's definitely different than like my parents' generation. Like you said, for, for my parents, it was if the doctor said, do it, do it. There was no kind of question about how does this work for me? Or I want to read about it and, and educate myself. It was more just trust the expert and do what they say. <laughs> Yep. It was, it was always fun to work with the kids who really had no nutrition background or, or information, you know, to get them to start to make some changes and like, Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, changing your breakfast or making sure that you're eating regularly throughout the day and they would try it and they'd come back and they'd be so excited and they'd be like, Oh, I have so much more energy and I can't believe how much better I feel. And they just didn't know the power that nutrition had on their body. Right. Well, as you know, um, the Parent Engagement Network works with parents so that they feel empowered in how they how they are with their own children. So one of the things that I'd love to dive into a little bit is how parents can approach talking to their kids about nutrition. And I know that you use a body-centered, mindful approach, which probably involves a little bit of what we've already talked about with, you know, being thoughtful and being aware of your own body. But what else can you share with us? Like as a parent... How, how could you guide your children into knowing how to be mindful of nutrition? Great, great question. And I get that question a lot from parents and work with a lot of parents and when their child is struggling, even with, with an eating disorder or just trying to get their nutrition on board. And I would say for parents, one of the main things they can do is first to create a positive environment around food, right? To like be a good example, um, be a good role model. Um, around balance. I mean, sometimes we can get some extremism around food, uh, around ultra healthy eating, and anything taken to too, too much of an extreme, it can be problematic. So try not to have restrictive diets or rigidity, negative comments about food, and just trying to have balance and flexibility around food so their children can, their child can see that. Um, also, 
another way to create a positive family environment around food is to have um, family meals. Like there's lots of research on family meals and how it can decrease the rates of depression, anxiety, even eating disorder, teen pregnancy, and how it can increase rates of resiliency and self-esteem. And I, and I know I am a mom of four and mine are grown now, but the craziness of nighttime and coming and going and, you know, sporting events and theater events and whatever it is. Um, and just trying to find a way that you can connect, even like a meal that's set aside for your child that comes home later that you sit with them while they're eating, you know, some type of ability to connect. And then, you know, that idea of promoting um, mindful eating, like being a good example of listening to your hunger, listening to your fullness, um, again, not having so much rigidity around food. And I see that's when um, parents or kids get in trouble. Like when I see kids who have eating disorders, there's a lot of food rules. I can eat this, but I can't eat that. And even though it doesn't really make sense, maybe they heard it somewhere online or, or maybe they would, a friend is doing it, or maybe they even saw their parents doing it, but really paying attention to, and excuse me, honoring, you know, their own body signals and how they're feeling. So there's a lot that parents can do. Another thing around positive body image, right? Like Mm -hmm. making sure as parents, we're talking positively about our body and not having negative talk about our body or like, oh, I just had that dessert and I've got to go work out extra hard tomorrow morning, right? Like just having a a little bit more compassion and understanding and relaxed feeling about it. And, and of course, to connect with our kids, communication Mm -hmm. is always so important to listen to our kids, to observe what's going on, to encourage them, support them. So we can have a feel of, so, so when things start to go south a little bit, we'll know, right? Because we'll, we'll know something's off. That ability to just pay attention is always important when it comes to our kids, because if we're doing that, we notice when something's off, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things as you're talking that comes to my mind is that we just have so many choices right? We have so many messages coming at us uh, around food, around supplements. And I think it's overwhelming. Like, should we do a keto diet, paleo diet? Should we be wheat free? Should we, you know, are we not supposed to eat after seven o'clock? Like, there's just so many rules. And I'm just curious, like, when you work with people, do you have a style or a way of, of approaching how people can handle that bombardment with information, but also the confusion that can come with it? Absolutely. It's probably one of the main comments that I'll hear that people will say adults too, right? Like, I don't even know what to eat anymore, right? I'm, I'm so confused. And, and then they are exasperated and kind of throw up their hands and go like, it doesn't even matter, right? I just, I can't, I don't have the time. I don't have the effort to wade through all this information. So I think there's a lot of confusion around eating and around supplements, right? I mean, like what to take. And a lot of that is due, one, because of information overload. There's just an abundance of information out there, and a lot of it is inaccurate. It is one of the contributing factors for eating issues, eating disorders, is that inaccurate nutrition information that that someone takes and goes with it, right? And so um, there's a lot of conflicting advice. Like, you know, one research study will say something completely opposite as the other research study, and they'll have their data and like, which one should you believe, which one's accurate, which one's reliable. And so I really encourage my clients to challenge what they're hearing and what they're reading. And don't just go with a 30 second soundbite and like 
take that, you know, and, and think like that's right. the, what they should be following. Um, and of course, there's a lot of marketing out there and a lot of claims like this will fix this problem, right? It's going to be miraculous or like the before and after pictures, right? And and then people yeah. are discouraged and how come, you know, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? And they beat themselves up and then they say, what the heck? I'm never going to do this again. And so just knowing like all of this is a normal reaction really to this bombardment of all this information. Um, and the other thing that's challenging is that science is always changing. Like the nutrition science is dynamic, right? If you remember cool. decades ago, you shouldn't eat eggs because eggs have cholesterol and eating cholesterol increases cholesterol. But now we know that that's not true. And, and so it's confusing to people because what science said at one point, they're no longer saying, um, or they yeah. might hear information where there's like a nugget of truth in there, but the majority of it is not true. Right. And so right. people don't have the time to figure this out. So one thing I tell them is also listen to their own innate knowledge in their body. Like for the, all those parents out there, when their kids were young, how did they know when to eat and when to stop? Right. Like kids don't know how to read time when they're younger. They, they like there is a built in mechanism that we have that tells us we're hungry or, or we've had enough. And as we grow older, we kind of cut off from that. And now we follow a diet or now we follow, right, this talk that we listen to and, and we don't trust ourselves. Now we eat in ways like more protein, more fat, less carbs, whatever it is in a way because someone's telling us to do that, but it doesn't really feel good for our body. So one, not buy into everything that you hear out there, Get, you know, give it a little bit of time, research a little bit more, and also really honor and respect your own individual body. I think that's so important. I resonate with that so much that I can tell when, when certain food feels good for me, you know, yeah. whether it's, I have more energy or I have less energy, like it made me feel heavy or, or lack of energy mood. Like you said, I think that that's really good advice for us to just really key into our own senses and our own feelings about food. And after doing so, this for so many years, I would say the, the way of eating that I see most people do the best with almost everyone is balance, right? Like yeah. that good old fashioned balance, balanced meals where you have protein, carbs, fats, fruit, or vegetable. Mm -hmm. um, and it might sound kind of boring and old fashioned, but it's what I see works best for adults, for kids. <laughs> I know I was a vegetarian for two different stints in my life, both of which were about seven to eight years. So total of around 15 years, I was a vegetarian. And I remember both times I stopped being a vegetarian because my body actually craved yeah. certain foods, like, like literally having a hamburger to the extent that I would have dreams about it. Like, and I thought, why am I doing this? What am I, how is this benefiting me if I can't even sleep without having a dream about eating a burger? <laughs> This is exactly what I was talking about. Exactly what you're saying. Like our body has wisdom and it tries yeah. to tell us, but we don't listen, right? In fact, there's one question I can ask a client to know if they're under eating and I don't even have to look at an intake form or anything. And the question is, how often do you think about food? Because if they're thinking about food 95% of the time, they're under eating, right? Unless they have some significant OCD issue, right? But I don't see that where they're right. thinking about food so much. Usually people are thinking about food all the time if they're really hungry and they're not letting their body have food. And so it's, the, again, that honoring and trusting our body. And I think it's that trust that gets broken through all the bombardment of information out there that we kind of think, huh, is that true? Should I try eating that way? They say it works. Maybe it'll work for me. And, and you, you know, get further and further away from trusting your own instincts. Right. Would you say that there are times when you think, 
being on a diet of some kind is important or, you know, if they have children that are struggling with, let's say, obesity or weight, um, what kind of recommendations would you have? I'm just thinking that, you know, in general, what I'm hearing is we don't want to look at the world and our relationship with food through the lens of diet all the time, but sometimes it might be required. Absolutely. Sometimes it is required. Like if someone has celiac disease, right? Like they 100% have to keep out gluten for the rest of their life. If they have um, any other kind of health condition like hypertension, right? High um, blood pressure, that it's going to be better for them to have lower salt options. Uh, someone has a food allergy, like a true food allergy. Yep. You got to stay away from that a hundred percent of the time. So there are certain ways that, you know, food has to be followed, right. It, it, um, in order to protect and your health and for you to, you know, have the energy vitality that you want, but there's a lot of gray in all those other areas, right? So like with weight loss, you mentioned obesity and, and um, there are all sorts of diets out there, right? From intermittent fasting to keto, to paleo, to whole 30 to, I mean, there's just so many Atkins and on and on and on. And what we do know through research is that diets don't work. 95% of diets fail. And so if I said to someone, I want you to try this supplement and it works 5% of the time, no one would ever buy that supplement. Mm -hmm. But yet people try new diets over and over again. And it's kind of what I call, they get diet amnesia and they forget that that past diet didn't work. And so now they, this diet has been repackaged and you know looks a little different, has a different name and they're trying it again. And the, the reason diets don't work most of the time is that people don't want to eat that food long-term. People don't want to go their whole life without a piece of bread or they don't want to eat 80% fat all the time, right? Or they don't want to yeah. eat no grains or no beans or whatever it is, or eat that high protein. And so at first someone's really excited because they feel like it's going to give them what they're wanting, right? And so they're like, I can follow this, you know, every day, but let's talk to the person a month down the line and two months down the line, how are they feeling? And then they haven't developed any strategies to deal with, let's say going out to dinner, going to a friend's house, traveling, um, how do they stay on their diet? And then they might throw up their hands and go, well, I can't do it anymore and have what I call a what the heck response. And then they dive into all the things they wouldn't let themselves have. And, and to fill that deprivation hole that has started through all of the dieting. And then they kind of are back to, you know, square one. And then the next time they're going to be better on their diet and this whole diet cycle starts. And so I don't see, unless it's for a medical reason that dieting long-term is helpful. It's much better right. to develop strategies around eating and awareness of hunger and fullness and, you know, eating for vitality, eating whole foods, limiting processed foods, right? Eating more fruits and vegetables, exercising, exercising with some type of exercise that you really like to do, not something you think you should do, but again, something that you're doing long-term. So if I'm working with somebody on changing their eating, I always ask them, you know, is this something you could do long-term, right? Can you eat this way long-term? Because if you can't, we shouldn't do that, right? We have to do something that you're going to be able to do long-term because right. when you, if someone's trying to change their weight, whether it's increasing their weight or decreasing their weight, um, they want to be able to stick with whatever, you know, changes they're wanting. And so it's They've got to be realistic or else the original issue is just going to come back. Yeah. Or strategies, let's say someone doesn't eat very much breakfast or lunch, right? And then they're starving in the afternoon and then they're just kind of eating whatever they can get their hands on. 
So making sure that even when they get up in the morning, they might not feel like breakfast, but let's train their body into having kind of a balanced breakfast, having a bigger lunch. So when they hit that afternoon period, they're just having a snack that can get them to dinner. Or if they're having a snack and, you know, they're reaching for pretzels and all of a sudden they eat the whole bag of pretzels. Instead, let's have a smaller amount of pretzels, but add some protein to that or some fat, some nuts, some cheese, some yogurt, something else to balance it out because it's really about balancing your blood sugar to balance your energy throughout the day. Mm. And most yeah, people I love with, blood sugar. Yeah, want to yeah. have more vitality, right? They want to have more energy. And sometimes these diets that they go on really zap their energy. Um, and right. then when when our blood sugar is low and we're not having enough calories, we don't reach for things like protein and fat. You know, we crave carbs, we crave sugary things. Um, and sometimes that can open the floodgates if we start eating that. And then we just want more and more and more. And then we beat ourselves up. Why well, didn't I have enough willpower? <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah. The cycle begins, right? Yes. So you've mentioned that you've worked with a lot of eating disorder yeah. um, patients, the people that come in with an eating disorder. Um, and I know that February is eating disorder awareness month and that you're going to be doing some work with Penn around that. And I just wanted to see if you could share with us a little bit about the roots of eating disorders, um, things that make it complicated. You know, how, how as a parent, if you are raising a kiddo that you're concerned might have an eating, eating disorder, what, what would that parent want to do? Right. Great, great question. So through the pandemic, we saw that eating disorders increased even more. Right. And um, they are rampant everywhere. We see them so much in high school and college age because 90% of eating disorders are between that age of 12 and 25. So right, that middle school, high school, college, and especially that time of moving from high school to college when there's so much change and, and eating disorders are more of a coping mechanism, right? A way to deal with feelings and and changes in their life or traumas, unresolved issues. And so especially as kids go from high school to college, one of the biggest changes in their life up to that point, it's uh, um, common to see it you know, show up at that point. And so I'd see that a lot when I worked at the university. But I think you asked, did you ask how do you recognize or what, what can be? Yeah, well, that's, I, sure. Yeah, I think that's really yeah. good information to bring up that, that eating disorders are not rooted necessarily in just food, but also in control and in feeling out of control and knowing that that's something you can have control of in the moment. Yes. There's a lot of myths around eating disorders, like that people look unhealthy if they have eating disorders, right? And when you look at something like anorexia, where someone is usually a very low weight, only 6% of people with anorexia are low weight, which means there's a lot of other people that have this eating disorder that are a normal weight. Someone with bulimia might have a very normal weight, right? And so um, there are many faces of an eating disorder. So you can't tell an eating disorder just by looking at somebody. And that we think that eating disorders are just about food. So if we see our child eating normally, we think they're fine, but it's so much more than that. Food is just kind of scratching the surface, right? That's the behavior that we're seeing. And of course, as parents, we don't always see everything that our kids are doing. Um, but it's much more about how they're feeling underneath that, right? If they're feeling anxious, if they're feeling de depressed, they're uncertain of themselves, they don't feel good enough, they're comparing themselves to others, right? And, and so what they do know is they can control their food, they can't control what's going on in their social circle or in their family or their academics or all of those things. And so all of a sudden food and our diet culture that's there everywhere, so pervasive, become this thing they can latch onto promising kind of this better life sometimes. You know, if you look this way, this is the kind of life you're going to have. And there's a lot of contributing factors. I think having 
you know, parents be being educated is critical about that because there is no one cause of an eating disorder. Like research has shown that, but there's many contributing factors, which is why eating disorders are complex and complicated. And so genetics can be a contributing factor. Um, our diet culture, our kind of our weight stigma, um, social media, for sure, all that we see out there, all the pictures of, you know, eat this, don't eat that. This is what I'm eating for a day. Um, well, this is how my body looks after I've worked out and this is the workout regimen I'm doing. Um, there's a lot of inaccurate nutrition information as we talked about. There are personality and temperament traits that are contributing factors, um, like kind of all or nothing thinking, OCD, anxiety. Uh, children can have traumatic events. They can have big changes in their life that spark off eating disorders. There can be a lot of peer pressure or family dynamics. So all of these things can contribute eating disorder. So one, having a parent educate themselves as, as much as possible. And then two, to be aware of any behavior changes. So do they see um, kind of a preoccupation with food? Do they see excessive exercise? Do they see mood fluctuations? Um, have they noticed any changes in weight, weight gain, weight loss? Um, do they see skipping of meals or eating alone, right? Isolating more, monitoring more like physical signs. How, are they exhausted all the time? Is your child exhausted, um, fainting? If they're um, a young woman, have they stopped having their period because they're not eating and they're losing weight? Um, do they have nutritional deficiencies, right? Um, so just being really aware and observing your child and uh, encouraging your child to encouraging that conversation, that communication with you as the parent, which can be hard if at times if your child is shutting you out and, and doesn't want to talk to you about things, but you know, as a parent, something's not right. Like I would encourage you to continue to connect with them, figure out when that timing is. Timing can always be so important because uh, it's hard for kids to talk about this stuff. And sometimes they don't even know what's wrong, but something's wrong. And that I hear so often from the kids in my practice that they want to be closer to their parents. They want to be able to talk to their parents, but sometimes they just don't have the skill to do it or other things are going on at school. And so through uh, the, a program that I created with, we're probably going to talk about in a little bit for parents with kids who have eating disorders. Yeah. It's really about teaching kids or parents to be an ally with their child, because when food issues come up, it can be very contentious, you know, um, where parents and kids are butting heads and all of a sudden parents are becoming the food police and they're monitoring right. everything. The kids pushing back more and it, it becomes just this head butting that goes on. And so what we want to do is really try to avoid that and come up next to our child and walk with them and be an ally and help them. Because, you know, when someone does have an eating disorder and, and they are working towards recovery, it is the child who is going to have to recover from the eating disorder. And there's nothing the parent can necessarily do to make that recovery happen other than support them because they can help the child move more quickly towards recovery by encouraging them, supporting them and being there for them. I think that's one of the hardest things about parenting as your children get older, actually, is that, you know, we have to make that transition. Yep. And there may be times that your child is really mad at you, right? And says really nasty things if they have an eating disorder. I hear this a lot from parents and it's really hard and it's really hurtful. But I would just encourage parents to remember that when their child is really in the throes of an eating disorder, that it's not their choice. Like, I think that's a myth that's out there that eating mm. disorders are a choice and it's not, you know, no one chooses to repeatedly starve themselves day after day after day or repeatedly purge their food 
or repeatedly binge and binge, right? Like none of that feels good to a child. So there, there's a reason they're doing that and that it's not a choice and they're struggling and they need support. And you as their parent, you know, are the closest one to them and you will be with them their whole life. And so sometimes it can get, a, the waters can get a little choppy when going through eating disorder stuff with your kid, but to just stay calm and grounded and be that steady force for them that's always there. Mm. That is an interesting thing you just said about it not being their choice. Well, and it is, there, there's a spectrum, right? That that somebody yeah. chooses to change their diet and they might try a diet and, and certain people would try a diet and then stop and, you know, go on with the rest of their life and they weren't impacted. Other people go on a diet and because of lots of contributing factors, they just fall into that rabbit hole of now they're in the grips of an eating disorder. And now this looks very different. So there is kind of like this normal eating, disordered eating, eating disorder, it, it is this spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that makes what sense. happens a lot in our society, and we see it a lot in college too, is that really abnormal eating behaviors become normalized. Mm-hmm. And so that no one thinks they're doing anything that's wrong, right? Like I'll talk to college students who will say, well, my roommate doesn't eat all day. She gets up and she doesn't have breakfast and she goes to class, doesn't eat, she doesn't eat till dinner. And so then she thinks, well, I should be doing this. And mm-hmm. so I would see this a lot at working at the university. And then we see that in our diet culture, right? There's people doing all sorts of things with their food and even with exercise, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's normal to eat, to exercise this much and to push yourself this hard and everyone should be doing it. Right. So you mentioned your program. So when we talk about the treatment of eating disorders, what does that look like? Yeah, great question. So what I'll say is research shows that early intervention is like critical um, for recovery. So if you're a parent and you're noticing some things, um, it's easy to be in denial and think like, oh, it's just a phase, it'll pass. But many times the phases don't pass and the, the behaviors kind of grip even more. And so get on top of that. And I would say seek professional help, even if it's just you as a parent asking somebody, either a therapist who has experience with eating disorders or a nutritionist, dietitian who has experience with eating disorders or a psychiatrist, like reach out. I mean, there's lots of books on the subjects out there too, but I think getting personalized information for your child is always so helpful. And if your child does need help, what that typically looks like in an outpatient setting is um, your child would meet with a therapist regularly. They would meet with a nutritionist regularly. And depending if there's any medical issues, you know, um, maybe they'd see a medical provider once a month. And usually that's the first place to start is what they call an outpatient setting. But Mm -hmm. some kids go from, you know, being at home, having to go right into treatment. And so there are different levels of of treatment for eating disorder treatment. There's an inpatient, which is the the most, uh, the highest level uh, where they go and they spend the night there and they might be there for a couple weeks, a month, several months. And they've got inpatient facilities all over the United States. Denver is a hub of eating disorder facilities. So we're really lucky to have that here. Um, Then they might go to something called a residential treatment program. Um, They might go to um, a partial hospitalization where they only go during the day and they spend the night at home. Or there's um, one other level, which is called an IOP, an intensive outpatient, um, where they would go three days a week, maybe for three hours. And there's even virtual treatment programs. A lot of virtual programs have popped up since the pandemic. And so there's all sorts of things you can do to get support. And what I would encourage parents to do is absolutely get that support, get that education to help their child mm-hmm. because again, that early intervention is so key. Mm-hmm. And so what does your program do? How does it fit into that spectrum of treatment and 
And yep. how, how do our parents involved in that as well? Because you mentioned yep. that parents are critical too. Yep. So through my uh, 15 years of being in the field and 10 years at the university and having four kids, and I just saw so much how parents were not being supported, right? And um, even one of my kids struggled also. And I became a parent, right, of someone who was struggling with an eating disorder. And I thought, okay, now now I really see that parents aren't getting the support that they need. And so I spent all last year, it took me a year to develop this program. And I really poured kind of my heart and soul into it of everything that I had learned as a provider, as a parent, seeing all the things that I've seen in the field to help support parents. And so I created an eight-week online pre-recorded, there are eight modules all on support for parents. And they're 60 to 90 minutes long and parents can join at any time. And uh, it's broken into three parts. The first part is for two weeks on reframing their understanding, really learning what eating disorders are. Cause I think there's a lot of confusion out there, a lot of myths. And then the second part is assessing your situation. And that's four of the weeks and really keen in on um, what's going on with your child. Um, there are ways in which parents unintentionally teach disordered eating, even though we try to do our best to give our kids, you know, everything that we can. There are things that we do that might not be that helpful. And then in creating this class, I interviewed lots of my clients and said, what do you wish your parents knew? And so I took all of this and put it into the program and they, kids were very clear and they were kind of similar across the board. It was really interesting. And then the last part of it is creating a roadmap. And I actually made it um, like a road right? And like the stops along the way. And so how parents can create this roadmap to healing and to recovery. And then I actually have a bonus module on eating disorders at college, because I had to put that in there since I worked at a university for so long. And then included with all of this, um, parents get four months access to weekly live group calls where we call in. So I've got parents from Maine right now and New York and Ohio and California and Minnesota, and we all call in on a Zoom call and they support each other, right? Uh, And and although their kids are at different stages, maybe different eating disorders, because the three eating disorders are anorexia, bulimia, compulsive overeating, or binge eating disorder. Um, And there's also something called ARFID, which is a little bit different, um, and orthorexia, which is um, not really an eating disorder, but uh, a coin eating disorder, which is an obsession with healthy eating. But wh- wherever your child is, whatever they're struggling with, there are some real commonalities that it was really helpful for parents to support each other. Um, there's a private Facebook that goes along with it, along with um, 50 handouts of all the information that they learn that's kind of in written form so they can print it out and keep a book. Because I know when I go to workshops, I always think, oh, I'm going to remember this for sure. This is great. And then like the, the following week, I've forgotten all of it. And right. so I wanted to have something tangible that they could have. And then this, I just launched this at the end of last year. And my real goal was to support parents because it's just, um, it's not something that's done out there enough. And I see parents as having the pivotal role of helping their child and no one knows their child better than their parent. Um, yeah. And so I just wanted to be able to support them. And so that's available on my website which is um, www.janereganutrition.com. And there's a link um, right there for the parent program. And so I'm just, I'm hoping I can reach parents and help them because this is a really complicated, complex, frightening, right? I mean, with a lot of parents who feel despair and, and are just so scared. And um, so I right. want to be able to reach those parents. I love the combination that you have, that you've put support, education, 
community all in one. It's it's actually one of the pillars of Parent Engagement Network is that we see that when we host educational events, of course, some of the benefit is just getting information so that you can make better choices because we can only decide from what we know. Right. Um, but another huge part of it is sitting next to somebody who says, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with this too. Or, hey, sounds like you have a similar thing going on in your family. Have you tried this? You know, we, we have such a wealth of knowledge around us when we get in community. So I love that you're you're combining it with all of those factors. Yeah, yep. So one yeah. of the questions I love to ask people is, how do you think parents should show up for their children? Great question. I'm sure we could talk a lot about this, but when I think about <laughs> eating disorders and nutrition and just in general, parenting, right? I, I think, I don't know if other parents feel this way, but I used to feel like, okay, I got this figured out. And then all of a sudden it shifted and my kids changed and they went to a new phase and I'm like, oh wait, now I got to figure this all out again. And so um, I think one thing that's always helpful as a parent, I think sometimes is to listen more than we talk. And so we can really get to know our kids and what they're feeling and what they're going through. And that if there, if there is an issue like an eating disorder to not ignore the problem, right. And, and to encourage that open communication and um, foster that open dialogue, um, involve your kids in decision-making, right. Especially as they get older and as parents to model healthy behaviors in this instance around nutrition and exercise and treat our kids how we would want to be treated, right? To be empathetic and understanding and to have fun with our kids. Like, you know, sometimes parenting can get really hard and it can yeah. uh, be grueling and there can be fighting and disagreements and to remember, you know, the love that we have for our kids and the connection and the fun. And so, yeah, of course it might scare us, but we have to be the ones that step in and say, okay, I've got and, you. And that is no more true than with eating disorders for sure. You know, like yeah. the, the comments that will come out towards parents when they're holding that tough boundary, right. Um, that's when you're going to see the eating disorder rear their head the most and the nastiness that can come out and parents just have to be able to detach a little bit, have a perspective, right? And that we're parenting for the long-term for a, a lifetime and that these are tricky years and mm. holding those boundaries for our kids is so important and doing it in a loving, calm way, even when they're not treating us in that way, right? I guess that's why we're the <laughs> yes. adult, we're, we're the parent, right? <laughs> even if we have to go lock ourselves in a room for a couple that's minutes right. and take five deep breaths yeah. and then go back out. <laughs> So, and, and, yeah, and exactly. by you saying that, one of the ways that parents can show up the best for kids is taking care of themselves. And I talk about this in my program, like this is hard stuff. Parenting in general without an eating disorder is hard. And that we have to make sure that if there's things triggered in ourselves, right, issues that we've never resolved, that we get help for that, that we mm -hmm. take time where we can be outside, exercise, you know, that we can eat well, that we can have balance. So we can be a better parent. And it also shows our child that it's important, right? That that's important for us to have boundaries around self-care. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been really fun chatting with you. And um, yeah, I'm excited to you. share this with our audience and people who, people who are parents or people who work with children. Um, is there anything before we close off today that you want to leave people with? Um, I mean, I guess in regards to eating disorders, if your child has an eating disorder and you're kind of working in recovery and, and 
or maybe they're wondering, should they recover? Should they not? I never see anyone that is happier with more vitality, more joy in their life because they have an eating disorder, right? That recovery from an eating disorder is really reconnecting to themselves, right? That And tr trusting their body again, getting to know the things that they value that are important to themselves. And so um, I would encourage parents to reach out for help if they if they think their kid is, is suffering and that um, I just commend all those parents out there. It's hard being a parent. We all know that you and I know that and we need to support yeah. each other, especially through issues like this. So I, I'm really glad that you had me on today and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I do want to say before we go, I'd like to thank a few of our sponsors, Line Gaddis, FNBO and The Daily Camera for their generous support. And please go to our website, check out what we have going on with Penn this year. Jane is going to be speaking on a, an upcoming panel that we're having. The website is www.penbv.org. And if today's conversation inspired you, there's always ways to get involved in Penn, whether that's a one-time donation, a monthly donor, becoming a large sponsor, or just volunteering for some of the things that we have going on. So I hope that today's conversation added to your parenting well and that all of this information will contribute to you raising healthy, happy kiddos. Um, it's an honor to have you here. And until next time, happy parenting.